0: Our opening words today come from UU minister Alicia Ford and her poem, Love Abundant. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from Love Abundant. My help comes from the hills. My help, my help. It comes from ancient mothers whose hearts beat in mine. It comes from the trees that sway in the breeze that sways them. My help comes from all that was and is and will ever be. I lift my eyes, hushed by the soothing touch of waves caressing wounded shores, wounded souls. I lift my eyes to the horizon, bathed by the hum of mothers and mothers, mothers cradling, gently rocking. I lift my voice, call of the sea, trees, sister moon, mother earth, my soul weeping, a symphony of life overflowing. I give myself, I too hum through every pore with every breath. I give myself an extension of all that is, was, and ever will be. Thank you. I would like to invite you all to join our guest musician David in our opening song, What a Wonderful World. The words will be projected behind me.
1: ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful
2: Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Rajesh. My pronouns are he, him, and his. I think I got it right. And I'm so glad you're here this morning, whether you're in this room or joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, I hope you've got a blue name tag. I see lots of them here today, uh, so that you know who you are, we know who you are, and can welcome you and answer any questions that you might have. Uh, We love talking about why this community Is so important to us and we'd like to hear from you and what you are looking for we hope you'll join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and in the social hall also please consider sharing your email with us uh, on the gold sheet which is in your program Um, this way we can add you to our mailing list and you can drop it into the collection basket as it passes uh, later in the platform service i want to remind you please to silence your electronic devices so that you can be fully present uh, this morning although we'd love it if you could check in on social media the um, those who will light the candle and speak the statement of purpose today uh, serve on Zeb's internment uh, internship committee working closely with, uh, with him and Amanda to help Seb develop as a clergy person, uh, along with uh, learning how he can serve West best. Uh, so I invite uh, Trang to read our statement of purpose so we can hear our shared values in each other's voices.
0: The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that confirms the worth affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders.
2: Thank you, Trang. As Jen lights our community candle, I invite you all to join me in the candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. solidarity with people around the world, especially the people in Egypt, and the 300 lives lost during the attack on the al Rada Mosque. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and to the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now to, into a time of meditation. I'll read a short Sanskrit verse which most Indian children learn, growing up, and then translate it for you. Asato ma sadgamaya, tamasoma Gamaya mrityo ma amritam gamaya. Let me awake from untruth to truth, from darkness to light, from death to immortality. Please make yourselves comfortable, close your eyes if you prefer, relax your body, focus on your breath. Feel it filling your lungs in and out. In and out. Take a deep breath. As you breathe in, fill your heart with the joy of being alive. And as you breathe out, give that joy to everyone around you. Sense your body, your feet, your legs your torso, your arms, your neck, your head. Your body is the map of your life. Breathe in, breathe out. With the in-breath, take in joy, and with the out breath, share it with this community. With an in-breath, take in light. And with the out-breath, share it with this community. With the in-breath, take in aliveness. And with the out-breath, Share it with this community. Breathe in. Breathe out. Joy multiplies. May we feel gratitude flowing. Breathing in, we sense ourselves receiving light, love, aliveness breathing out we offer our hearts into the world
0: Thank you, David. This month, we've been exploring the theme of abundance, taking note of the bounty in our lives. And speaking of abundance, it seems fitting that on Thursday, so many of us celebrated Thanksgiving. So fitting, one might think it was planned that way. A holiday where traditionally, families and friends gather around a large meal and celebrate all that they are grateful for, a time where our joys are to be lifted up as we sit happily together. And I hope that many of you were able to celebrate Thanksgiving this way. But our lived reality is often different from this tradition. The holidays are not always as carefree as greeting cards would have us believe. Just think of all the tips, advice, and talks there are about how to discuss difficult conversations around the table this holiday season. Here at West, we hosted one of these turkey talks. Because we know a family meal can turn contentious quickly, instead of our deepest joys, we easily fall back into old grievances. Long ago fights are brought to the surface and we entrench in our positions. If it were a cartoon, and hopefully just in cartoons, the gravy would start flying. And some of us spent Thanksgiving at lonely meals, possibly watching a Facebook feed filling up with stories from other people's celebrations. The holidays can be far harder than we give them credit for. And sometimes I worry that manufactured holidays are dangerous, like we are assigning emotional responses instead of offering a heartfelt invitation to each other. It can feel like a demand to be grateful instead of a question What inspires a sense of gratitude? In the atmosphere of this country and society in general, it can be hard to find our sources of gratitude. Political tensions are at a fever pitch. Protections for vulnerable members of the community are being rolled back. There is increased violence, and it feels like every day, there's a new protest we need to join, or a new campaign that needs our attention. These things happen alongside the general stresses of life, finding that job, paying that medical bill, an old family argument, the frustrations that burn away at us, the ones that we try to hide, afraid that no one will listen. How do we keep going? And how do we start a conversation on gratitude that starts on such a down note? In the words of Alicia Ford's meditation, We were invited to look for the help from Love Abundant, the soothing waves on wounded shores. We will seek to be present both to the wounds and the healing power within gratitude. Our culture slows down for one day every year to remind us to give thanks. And can we use this reminder to build a container that sustains us even after the afternoon naps are over? The very word Thanksgiving is painful to many people. It conjures up images of violence, conquests, and the atrocious ways the United States has treated First Nations people. There's so much negativity surrounding the term Thanksgiving that numerous counter holidays have begun. Some of the most co- common names for these holidays include un-Thanksgiving, Friendsgiving, and grieving. I lost count of how many Friendsgivings I was invited to this year, but it's thanks grieving is the way that I approach this holiday. I first learned the term from the late provost at my seminary, Ibrahim Farajaje. He was an amazing person, a queer man with African and indigenous American ancestry, a Sufi mystic, and a radical activist along with being one of the most gentle and good-natured people that you could ever meet. He was the kind of person that always had a smile on his face, but his teachings made sure that we were aware of the suffering in the world, the intersectionality of our lives and of systems of oppression, the despair and anger in our hearts, along with the beauty, being present to the beauty and eternal hope. He held the complexity of living with grief and living with joy and balance. Thanks grieving, he taught us, was a way to acknowledge the pain that the traditional thanks story brings up in many indigenous and First Nations people. The story of a mythic meal between pilgrims and so-called Indians was just the beginning of a long saga of conquest and displacement. How can one speak of gratitude and a joyous meal being shared and then whitewash the attempted genocide of people and of nations, without seeing how settler colonialism continues to play out through history and into today. If the story is treated of one of simple gratitude without dealing with the complexities of life in America and its legacy of violence, how does it allow these injustices to continue? And at the same time, thanks grieving is not just a moment of grief and rage, The core message of gratitude is preserved. Even in our grief, there's much that sustains us. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the friends and families that support and nurture us, that kind word on a terrible day, these glimmers of light and beauty that we need to avoid falling, falling into despair. Because once we're in that state, it's so easy to give up or burn out. And it's that much harder to face our days and the struggles in our lives. Ibrahim taught us that joy without complexity was hollow, and grief without gratitude was self-defeating. If the lesson of Thanksgiving was truly gratitude, wouldn't Europeans have sought a peaceful coexistence, realizing that there was enough for all people to go around and that we, all of us, were stronger together? Instead, we have that legacy of displacement, greed, a legacy that we saw still alive last year at Standing Rock, at the Sacred Stone Camp, and the movement against the Dakota Access Pipeline, an effort to protect water sources, burial sites, and sovereign land that was grounded in appreciation and connection with the earth, with families and tradition. One of the rules of the camp was to always engage in nonviolent and prayerful protest, aware and honoring all that which sustains life, however we interpret that to be. This pipeline was originally routed to go nearer to the capital city of Bismarck, North Dakota, but the residents there, worried about oil spills, rejected it and pressured to have the pipeline rerouted. And it was. It was rerouted through the Standing Rock Reservation and lands protected by treaty rights. And once this route was changed, the people of Bismarck treated the pipeline as out of sight, out of mind, and wondered what all the fuss was about. And so a resistance grew, and it incorporated diverse groups, other nations, Black Lives Matter organizers, environmental activists, U.S. veterans, interfaith clergy, and so many more. A coalition following Standing Rock's leadership that was bound together by the knowledge that oppression is linked and that the crimes of the past were playing out into the present. The mindset that allows greed, fear, and the devaluation of human lives and rights cannot be ignored nor treated as isolated incidents. I was fortunate enough last year to go to Standing Rock joining an invitation for clergy and religious leaders to stand in solidarity with the people. Having been invited, I couldn't say no. I was humbled to be welcomed to the camp, to share meals, to lock arms, and work together. People would ask me, what brought me there? And on one hand, it was as simple as being invited, and on the other, it was an awareness and appreciation for my history. For there's a debate in my family about whether or not our ancestors were on the Mayflower. We know they were Puritans and in Massachusetts, but the debate is whether it was that boat or the next one. And I'm grateful for the life I have. I love my family, and I acknowledge that everything in America's legacy benefits me. While knowing that the cost of that legacy was too high and inexcusable, I can't escape that I am just the next chapter, that we are just the next chapter. So when the Standing Rock and Lakota people said it was happening again, still happening, lands are still being taken, I had to respond. Not to undo the past, not to act out of guilt, but to simply say I'm here now and I'm listening. I didn't go with answers or solutions just to listen and support which is what I was asked to do. And the request that I heard over and over again was simply to speak out, to not be silent, and to take these voices home with us. And though it's not in the news the same way, the pipeline continues to go forward, and so too does the resistance. Sacred Stone Camp has closed early in the year, but the legal battles and grassroots organizing are ongoing, so we continue to watch, listen, and speak out. I also know that it's difficult to focus on any one movement in this current climate and how we can't ignore a mindset that allows for the devaluing of human lives that is based in greed and fear and how that affects every one of us. We can't be everywhere. We can't fight every fight. And if the old saying that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, then hopefully the reverse is true and working towards justice anywhere works towards justice everywhere. We watch on the news as neo-Nazis and Confederates march through the streets with flags and torches. They're the threats to build walls and deport children that ring out on the airways. We see increased ice raids in people's homes. Our health care and social services are under constant attack. Our basic assurances of life and safety cannot be guaranteed all while we live in a culture that daily reinforces that we are not enough, that we should be making more, doing more, that we should be more, to worry about ourselves and not our connections to each other. We live this every day and everyone is touched by it and everyone is grieving. So with this knowledge, how do we resist? And saying no to this system is a start. And we can say no by finding something to be grateful for and to give our thanks. Of seeing that we are enough and holding moments of joy in the face of despair, we know and are aware we are enough. We can focus on individual and communal needs, building connections instead of fiercely guarding possessions or taking from others. This is why we have a day of Thanksgiving, that reminder to pause and be grateful. Looking at the origins of this holiday, I go back to the 19th century instead of the 17th century, to another time where America had great divisions throughout the country. And I look towards the life of Sarah Josepha Hale. She was an editor, a poet, and an advocate, and she's best remembered today for her poem, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Although she gained her fame with the novel Northwood, Life North and South, It was one of the earliest novels to address slavery and advocate for abolition, and one of the earliest novels written by a woman. Following her book, she landed a job in Boston editing the far-reaching ladies' magazine. And using her newfound fame, she continued her advocacy, demanding the right for all women to be educated and for continuing to discuss abolition. And she had one other major cause, Establishing a national day of Thanksgiving. Women's rights, abolition, Thanksgiving, not something we usually pair together. In this time, building up and during the Civil War, she thought it was necessary to create a day of gratitude, a day that would call families and friends together to focus on the joys of life. She described a time where the funeral-faced month of November is made to wear a garland of joy. And she wrote about the divisions in society, the need for reforms. But so much she wrote about the need to reach out to one another. Clearly, she thought that only focusing on our problems and grievances wasn't enough, that in order to heal and be sustained in this work of healing, we had to acknowledge life's bounty. Sarah Hale lobbied for 17 years to establish this holiday. She wrote to and pressured five different U.S. presidents, along with publishing articles and editorials to build public support. In 1863, just after the Emancipation Proclamation, she had success. Sarah Hale wrote to Abraham Lincoln, using a friendship with Secretary of State Seward to ensure the President listened. And a few days after receiving one of her letters, President Lincoln called for a National Day of Thanksgiving. It's so nice to see that sometimes citizen advocacy can work. It was just a moment in time when the reality of racial injustice in America should have been undeniable. Half the country went to war to protect a system that allowed people to be treated as property. Where was the cause to celebrate? The cause for gratitude. The war was far from over, and despite the Emancipation Proclamation, people were still enslaved. Why would we give thanks? Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation is not a happy read. He writes as a president of a nation at war with itself. Soldiers are dying, family members are being drafted, funds and resources constantly diverted for the war, and the enemy was someone that a few years ago you would have called family. The words that stand out most in his proclamation are holding up the widows, orphans, mourners, and sufferers of this lamentable civil strife. Yet, he's asking us to find joy, the blessings of fruitful fields and health-filled skies, to look for the gifts that life still contains, and to remember the abundance around us. People need to pause, to take a moment to breathe, To look around and find something praiseworthy, that source of strength. The holiday was kept far away from Plymouth Rock, not in a legendary meal, but grounded in the needs of the people. The need to raise morale during a crisis so we could continue to face it. Can we learn to do the same? Can we open our eyes to the abundance in our lives, the people that give us strength, our systems of support? How would a Thanksgiving and holiday season look if we held to Thanksgiving or hail in Lincoln's Thanksgiving of finding moments of grace through the struggle? How do we find it in ourselves, our love abundant, our hidden sources? There's the meditation practice of loving kindness, and I believe that this can be used as a launching point for the kind of awareness. Angel Kyoto Williams, an activist and Zen priestess, teaches loving kindness in her book, Being Black, Zen and the Art of Living with Fearlessness and Grace. In order to see loving kindness in action, we have to be curious about the lives we have in front of us. We spend a lot of time looking for something new that will make us feel alive and in touch with ourselves. It could be a new boyfriend new shoes, new whatever, and one of the things that happens when we get so fixated on finding that new thing is that we forget what is already there, that flowers are as beautiful when they are alongside the highway as when they're delivered to our door. As she says, there's nothing wrong with new, with looking for better, there's nothing wrong with it but just as long as we're open to seeing the beauty of the world in front of us. One of my simple joys is my dog, Yaga. And despite having her for almost eight years, I still call her my little puppy. And when I feel overwhelmed and just want to collapse, she'll bound right over to me, jumping and trying to lick my face. It just fills a day with a little bit more joy It doesn't solve any problems, doesn't fix society, but it does give me a little bit of extra energy to face society, to face my problems. Up until she barks at a neighbor, or begs for food, demands a walk on a cold day, and I find myself grumbling and mumbling about her. Why can't she just be a better dog? And also, what kind of dog doesn't chase a rat that gets into the apartment anyways? Okay, I shouldn't bring up my conflicts at home during platform, that was, that was inappropriate. Uh, but we got the rat outside eventually. That just goes to show though, how tricky gratitude can be. How quickly we go from, I really appreciate this, to why isn't better, or why not perfect? We have to return again and again to this practice. We have to train ourselves to return to Yaga She's sweet and playful and exactly as well-behaved as I trained her to be. Any dog that I have would bark or beg, because I always give her table scraps. It's what dogs do, and apparently I don't mind the behavior enough to train it. But I do mind not being open to the beauty and abundance in life, so I'm willing to put in the effort to train myself to look towards gratitude. And while not everyone here is a dog lover, so this example might not work for you, I invite you to think about something that brings a grin to your face, a family member, a breathtaking sunset, the smell of fresh air, a treasured memory, that moment where you felt completely carefree and uplifted. It doesn't have to be anything complicated. In fact, the less complicated, the better. So it's back to appreciation, because without it, when I wake up in the morning, I can barely want to get out of bed. If all I think about is the depressing news story or an unpleasant task like the class I'm not thrilled with, then maybe I could just pull the covers closer and roll over. But if I focus instead on something that I appreciate, the friends that I might see, or sometimes just the joy of being able to get out of bed, it makes it that much easier to face the day. The work of resisting systems of oppression is much the same, just harder, because this work requires being present and aware of the pain and trauma of life, not to turn away for easy comforts. And yet, at the same time, it's been with an activist and change-making circles that I've found the most cause to be grateful. I've marched with, known, and become friends with otherwise completely ordinary people that have decided to face life's truths, not to turn away, and to live with grace in a way that spreads hope. We take the time to remind one another to play that board game or go to the beach, to tell jokes around a circle, finding something and making something to appreciate before we go to a march or a rally, especially if it's the one where we're uncertain of how the police will respond, or if we might be attacked by someone waving a Confederate flag, which happens more often than we like to admit. Finding these moments of appreciation can ground you when you're in the thick of it. They'll help you watching the news as the next story breaks along with your heart. They'll remind you of something beautiful as you get that text message that upends all of your plans. We have good memories to hold close. Something, somewhere, if we are just present to it. And if not, hopefully everyone in this room will help you make some of these memories. Let's take the time to look to the hills, as Alicia Ford suggested, to find love abundant, being grateful for all the beauty in this world, It's there if we just look for it, let's give thanks, thank you.
1: In this world there's a whole lot of trouble baby in this world it's a whole lot of pain in this world there's a whole lot of trouble but a whole lot of ground to gain why take when you could be given why watch as the world goes by is a hard enough life to be living why walk when you can fly in this world there's a whole lot of sorrow in this world there's a whole lot of shame in this world there's a whole lot of sorrow and a whole lot of ground to gain why one when you spend no wishing why wondering and wondering why is a long enough life to be living why walk when you can fly In this world there's a whole lot of golden In this world there's a whole lot of plain In this world you're a soul for a compass And a heart with a word for wings There's a star in the far horizon Rising bright in our blue sky For the rest of the time that you're given, Why walk when you can fly high Are in the far horizon. Why walk when you can fly?